Today on Authority Optional Leadership Beyond the Rulebook, we had our second caller, this time with a slightly different kind of interview. This was one of the people that we are trying to talk to to try to get some messages out to your benefit. Uh, And he had some great insights on what he does. There were some items introduced on the call that are right in line with the show. There were some new things that we were introduced to or that we have heard about, but we haven't talked to you guys yet about. Hopefully you guys get some insight as to what it could be like and know that we're not the only ones that think like this and that it can be done like this. Enjoy the show. I'm not the singer you are. <laughs> I don't know if you, it's. Can I get? Can I get a G below middle C? I saw I saw a meme for I don't know on Instagram or something, and it said something about guitarists always be like, "I was doing the plink dink and then I and I frothed off a you know," and then just made up a bunch of words because you guys have this lingo that is beyond most of the rest of us. <laughs> so last night in rehearsal. We're we're literally going through a chord progression, and the bass player is um, seventy five, uh, ex Air Force pilot, current pilot, but ex Air Force pilot, and he starts calling out the chords like Charlie, <laughs> Delta, and I'm like, we we use the Nashville method around here. We got the one, <laughs> the mm. two, the three, the four, the five. <laughs> like See you that? can you can say like several different things, but don't start like. Bravo, <laughs> flat Bravo. I think was one because we were in B flat. It was terrible. I asked uh, <clears throat> Scott to try to teach me at least some bass, and he was teaching me both, like numbers and letters. And I was like, "You got to stop that. <laughs> you need to pick one because I'm having a hard enough time with one or the other." So he's like, "I'll tell you what. I'll make it even more simple." And he taught me like a box chord. Yeah, you know, you just up, down, and around basically. I've forgotten that already, of course, but. It happens. Yeah. I just... Use it or lose it. It's... Yes. And also, uh, if you get to older and you have not really tried... If you're not... I feel like if you're not trying to learn music or how to play something by a certain age, it's... I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I will say it's a tremendous uphill battle. Tremendous. Because the cement is drying. I have a 10-year-old who's learning the piano and Dr. Dre... He's, he's literally learned the background to a Dre song. Hmm. If I have to hear that background one more time, <laughs> Christmas is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. it's one of those where it's probably going to come onto the radio and I'm just going to change it now because I'm so used to that, that piano back. And he's doing a great job, but he's playing it a lot. <laughs> a lot. Caller, thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for calling. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Uh, so why don't we start off with uh, what you would like us to call us? Cause Jesus, what you would like us to call you and your age. Oh, there we go. Recording in progress. <sighs> <laughs> you want to start with epic fails? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Caller. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta explain it now. All right. So listen, audience. Uh, we started this show about five minutes ago, and I realized that we were not recording the caller. So I'm gonna recap because and and, and uh, <laughs> caller, I still want you to 
kind of give a little synopsis of what you just told us so the audience can hear from your own words. But uh, we started the show. We weren't recording recording the caller. So welcome to our learning curve, as Josh likes to say. Um, all right. So we have uh, we're interviewing one of you. Uh, our, our designed demographic, a middle manager, somebody who's been in corporate America for a while working for a BDC, big dumb company, if you're new to the show. And so, yeah, so we're going to ask some questions and see if he's got anything, any challenges he'd like to throw our way and, uh, ideally have everybody walk away with maybe some useful tools and tips. Cause that's, that's what this show is all about is how to make that life a little bit better. Let's start off with what should we call you and your age? Yeah, thanks. Uh, my name's Jake. Uh, I'm 38. Welcome to the show again, Jake. And uh, first question for you is actually let me let me tell the audience a little bit about what we're doing here. We're targeting a specific demographic, middle management in corporate America, and one of the types of interviews we'd like to do is talking to you folks and seeing you what it is that you're dealing with, how you're dealing with it currently, and if you have any challenges you'd like to have us brainstorm with you on. So, Jake. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, some of your background, and as much of what you're currently doing as you are comfortable. Sure. Um, yeah, so I've primarily been in the corporate America financial services industry since about 2006, so quite a while. Um, and I've started off from entry-level roles all the way up to middle management, and I've been in middle management for, I don't know, 10-plus years now. But um it's, you know, when I kind of first started in an entry-level role in kind of that corporate American environment, I, I honestly didn't think I'd be there too long because um, when you're younger, that's kind of just what you think. You think there's moving on up and, you know, different things. But uh, honestly, you know, they, I feel like it, when you get into certain jobs, they, they always make it just good enough, right? Um, yeah. So that, you know, and then you, for me, I, I kind of just saw the advancement opportunities at the different companies that I've worked with and, and that's just kind of who I am. I'm always motivated to move up and, and do different things. So, um, and once I kind of got into leadership and management, that's, I, I, I enjoyed it. I was good at it. So, you know, 2023, you know, here I am. Here we are. Um, and I, I've managed anywhere from teams of, I don't know, 10 people all the way up to 30 people, just depending on um, the job and the company and all that. Right on. You're definitely the demographic that fits where we want to be able to help. Uh, I wanted to ask one thing you said, they, they make it just good enough. One of the one of the primary audience targets that we have are new managers. Maybe they even inherited teams because they were successful, but they, they haven't had that experience of managing like you have. So <clears throat> I think there's some things that may resonate there. What does just good enough mean? So for me, it's, I mean, obviously the whole reason we work is compensation, right? Like we have to have pay to support, uh, you know, our lives and to be able to live. And, and, and for me, just good enough is we're, uh, you know, what I'm talking about is just good enough to pay for things outside of work that I enjoy. Right. Like the, the pay, the, the benefits, all those types of things where it's a lot better than, than some jobs, but maybe it's not the greatest, right? Like if you had your utopia of a, of a job, um, it doesn't meet quite that, but it's just, it's better than a lot of other jobs. And it, it provides that level of security that, that you're looking for, you know, with an employer. That's exactly what I was going to touch on. Uh, you asked the question, Josh, like it's, 
that's exactly where I was um, before before I left, before I was before I left, essentially was, you know, this is maybe not necessarily what I had thought that I was going to do by any stretch. It's not like I was dreaming of this job as a five-year-old this didn't fall into the astronaut or fireman category (laughs) right? Uh, and yet it pays pretty well the benefits are usually stellar and then if you can get to a place where you can create a team that kicks a lot of ass then you know it's hard to leave for me i just real quick i'm not going to go on a diatribe about this but the hardest thing that made it my syntax was extremely poor there the thing that made it hardest for me to leave was having a great team that I had built over time and people that were loyal and having fun and engaged and were kicking ass on their own right. That's what made it impossible for me to leave. That may not be the case for everybody. In fact, that's, but it, maybe it is. Maybe that's one of the reasons that yeah. people find themselves in middle management for extended periods of time is you find yourself in a situation just like you're describing, Jake, where it's good enough. And especially if the economy gets tough in some cases, which it has a couple times over the last decade, you can probably just find yourself going, well, it's, it could be worse. So this show is all about how can we make it a little bit better? Um, do you have anything? Yeah. I just think it's interesting that it's more of a comment, the, the control of culture. And I, and I, that seems to back and forth. It seems to come into every single episode you know, as a middle manager, you may control the culture for the people who work for you. Uh, you may have a lot of influence with your peers. You may not have as much control over your own culture, but I do think that it's really important that we we separate out the idea of this good enough. Working with Max, it was a situation where it absolutely was good enough. The culture that we created within our peer group and then what I created for my teams that is what made it a sustainable job for me emotionally. Uh, I, I've said before, like as a salesperson, if you were to look at my resume, I could go out and I could make probably 150 to 160 grand like within 90 days. I wouldn't be home three weeks out of the month. Right. That's not the, the culture that I want to be in. That's not the job I want to have. And it's that that fit. And if that resonates with you, Jake, it's that idea really of the pay is just good enough. You you've got your auxiliary things that you might do, like camping, fishing, hunting, music, you know, Mm -hmm. shooting a movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just enough to to kind of keep you there. And I feel like one of the big facets that's been missing is that cultural piece. What do you do as a leader for the people who work for you to create connection? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so for me to build connection is you got to get to know your people. Um, you got to understand what drives them, what makes them tick. Um, and the only way to do that is build a relationship with them. And for some, some of your folks, it's going to be way harder than others. Some people are going to be a little standoffish. Um, and, and it's a little bit, you know, it takes a little bit more time. Other people are going to be an open book and they're going to tell you way more than you even want to know about <laughs> themselves. And, <laughs> yes, you know, they will. <laughs> If you're doing situation, right. right? Um, but to me, if you don't know your people, uh, they're not going to work hard for you, right. When you need them to, and unless you, yeah, and you have, it has to be reciprocated, right. You have to open up to them and tell them about yourself and, you know, those expectations, um, that not only you have for them, but that they have of you, uh, because a lot of times people just need to, they want to come in and, uh, you know, just blow some steam off or talk about their weekend or, you know, all the above. Right. And 
And some people require that. Like I've had people in the, over time that, you know, various companies, various, uh, you know, roles that I've had where they, if I don't give them the attention they need for at least five, 10 minutes, they're going to, they're going to find it at some point during the day. Like they're not going, it's not going to go away. Right. Um, and other people want to be completely left alone. Like they don't want to speak to you throughout the day. They just want to say, Hey, good morning. They want to do their job and leave. So you have to find what, what drives people and what motivates people. And so for me, that's been the best way over my tenure to do that is, is to get to know people and build relationships with them. What, what challenges, if you're comfortable answering this, and if you're not, you can always just say, yeah, no thanks. And we'll cut that part out. But like, what challenges have you faced trying to develop your own team culture in the business again, quote unquote culture, like whatever. And this, this doesn't have to be in the current job that you're in. It could be across the industry. Like what challenges have you faced trying to create your own team culture in the larger scheme? Um, I would say some challenges that I've experienced over the years, like I said, it's a lot of it's the same from company to company, but you know, there's certain, certain, uh, things that you have to do. Like you have to toe the line in certain things with, you know, how the job is performed or, um, you know, various, I guess, uh, strategies that you may not agree with. Right. Um, but for me, for my culture that I tried to build within my team is kind of sifting through and interpreting what does that mean for us? So the company direction may be a, right. But what does that mean for us? Like, what can we do within that realm to still, I guess, toe the company line, yeah, but also stay in the box, make it but tangible still. for what we do within our department, right? Or our team. Yeah. Um, Cause sometimes I, I've just seen, I've seen a lot of leaders that go out and that's all they do, right? They just, they, uh, you know, they do the company speak, the, mm -hmm. the company jargon, and that's all that there's no like interpretation of it. There's no like, how do we approach this as a team to be successful? They just, they just flip out that corporate line and people see that at every level. Right. Yes. And, you know, so for me that I really try to say, okay, here's what the direction is. Here's the policy. What does that mean for us? Like what, how can we play within the boundaries of this guideline and still do what's right for us? Um, and more importantly, do what's right for our customers and, and look at that objectively. And are you, are you pretty transparent with your team as far as, you know, what the reality may be, but then what we would call that is what's the plan, right? As far as how you're going to move forward uh, with, with whatever that, that corporate strategy is. Are you transparent with them in the fact that, you know, maybe it's not in your mind the best strategy, but it's what you have to work with? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's critical to be real with people is to say, Hey, like, here's the direction that we have. Realistically, do I agree with this? Maybe not. Um, and you, you know, and if you have those relationships with people, even if you tried to say, oh yeah, this is a good decision. If people know you, they're going to know if you're full of crap or not. Right. Yes. So, yeah. um, you, that transparency piece I think is key to maintaining those relationships and making sure that people understand that if nothing else, you're, re you're real with them. Couldn't agree um, more. And so, yeah, to your point, uh, saying here's the direction how do we tackle this realistically? What does this look like? What is the plan? I, I I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. I, you're, I mean, you could be in one of these chairs sitting right next to us. This is, this is all kind of stuff that we're super into, which is 
be yourself. This is episode two and three. Yeah. In all honesty, if you're hearing something that resonates and you haven't listened to the the previous episodes, getting to know people and actually the first five episodes were literally some of these pieces of how do you take the tangible steps to get to know your team, set expectations for each other and have these transparent and critical conversations where we can be human. And my feeling is there's plenty of you out there in our audience that feel this way. And hopefully, if nothing else, the show is a little validating to go, yeah, yeah, okay, I must be on the right track. There are other people out there who are who think this way. I, I think we've all encountered the the fakes, the people who are not just towing the company line, they're company shills. You know, they <laughs> I was gonna say our vocabulary word and that that very definition, the difference between not being transparent. And saying, oh, yeah, this is the best thing ever about the strategy versus saying, I see holes in this, but this is what I have to work with and being honest with them. That's the difference between being a shill and being a human. And people, even if you even if that's who you are, like even if you're just kind of person that's trying to make lemons out of lemonade, no matter what, people will still question if you go, oh, the company's doing this thing now. That's great for us. People, if it's not great, will go are you for real? Like you think this is good. And on some level, they're not going to believe you. And then they're going to be looking for what else do you do? That's fake. Yeah. Or I think even worse than that is they fully believe what you're peddling and shilling out. And yeah, you're not smart enough to be in the position that you're in because you don't see where the problems are. Yeah. If they're destined to be a shill themselves, Jake, you're about to say something. Yeah. I was just going to say to your point, sometimes people need to hear you say, yeah, this sucks. Like they need to hear you say that so that they understand that to your guys' point that you recognize this is a terrible idea. Like it really is. But we look like bobbleheads right now. We're just like, yeah, (laughs) yes, yes, (laughs) queen. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they they need to hear that because they need to. And, and, you know, that's not something you want to do all the time as a leader. Right. Like it's your job to kind of filter the crap. Right. That comes down. But. At the same t- at the same time, every once in a while, if you want to have that real relationship with people, they need to hear you say, yeah, this sucks. This isn't great. This is not good. But here's the parameters that we're going to go, you know, that we have. How do we tackle this? Um, so they they do need to hear that from time to time. Well, I, you're kind of already answering one of the other questions is how do, how do you hold up the ethos of your own culture in the face of the company that you work for and whatever – I'm going to keep doing it, quote unquote, culture that they have decided uh, you need to impart upon your team. You, you're kind of already getting to the the nuts and bolts of that, which I appreciate. It's stop making my job so easy, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's maybe this is a nice opportunity. Can you can you give us a couple of tangible tools that you use on a regular basis? So think of it. Um, somebody coming onto your team. Maybe they're brand new. Maybe they are only new to the role. Maybe they've been with the company for a while, whatever. Um, what can you give us, a, give us and our audience a couple of things that you do on a, on a regular basis that feel like they work? In other words, the way I like to word it is, how do you not suck? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, so there's a couple things over my tenure that I've really taken to heart and you guys know being in leadership, there's a lot of different trainings. There's a lot of different seminars, a lot of different things that you can go through and some of it's crap and some of it's really good. And so the, at least the ones for me that I've latched onto and incorporated is one servant-based leadership. Um, that was something that 
I kind of inherently was doing, but I didn't know there was a term for it. I didn't understand that it was actually a model that somebody had put together and described. Like, it's just kind of, you know, and, and that servant-based leadership model is putting putting the your team priorities or, or if your individual team members, whoever that is, whatever company it is, is putting them first in their needs, right? Trying to make sure that, you know, anything that they request of you, um, that you make it a priority. And that can be as simple as like a schedule change or, um, you know, I, I remember the first time that it hit home for me is I was, I think I was new to leadership. And one of uh, the folks on my team asked for, said, hey, could you grab me uh, a notepad and a pen? And so I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And so I went and grabbed it out of the supply drawer, went and came back and said, here you go. And the look on their face, they almost looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and I, I was like, I didn't quite understand, you know, the look I was getting. And he was like, Hey, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Like, and making that a priority. And I was like, sure. Like, I, I still didn't quite understand. And he was like, I've been asking for a new notepad and a pen for over a month. And I asked this you the is... first time and you went and wow. did it. Thank you. Um, and it was something really insignificant, right? Like it, it's a notepad and a pen, but to him, it was, he had been asking for it. He obviously needed it, whether it was taking notes in meetings or whatever he needed for him. Maybe he was just drawing pictures right in between where I don't know what he was doing with it. Yeah. Um, you know, but to him, he was just like, Hey, thank you for taking my simple request and making it a priority. And, you know, and again, it's just something that I kind of just naturally did, but I didn't understand that it, it was actually like a thing, you know, that leaders should strive for and, you know, had a name. So servant-based leadership, um, there's tons of resources on it. So I'd say anybody who's a new leader, go check it out. Um, uh, because that to me is a big one. Um, the Before other you move thing on to the next I, one. in my tenure that I've tried to incorporate that I thought was really good. is uh, situational leadership. I think it's Ken Blanchard. Wait, wait, hang on, um, Jake, the, Jake, before you, before you go on to the next one, cause I yeah. like, I, I can see Josh Ancy and I'm Ancy. Like I want to dive on that a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's fantastic. The, the way that I first learned it way back when I was a tiny tot in my twenties or maybe teens, when I had one of my first jobs, the way the guy worded it, which I have altered since then, which is I take care of the people that take care of me and take care of in his sense was whatever you want within the reasons, within the boundaries of this job, I will make happen for you. The way that I have altered it is I will take care of you and I'm just going to count on the fact that you'll take care of me back. And that's what you're talking about, Jake. That's you lead with, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make you as happy as I can. We we've all we're you know, this is a volunteer army. Nobody held a gun to our head and told us we have to do this job. But on the other hand, we still kind of have to do this job and you can do things sometimes really subtle things like getting somebody a notepad and a pen and kind of make somebody's life a little bit better. Even we talk about small increments on this show all the time. One, two, three percent increment improvements will make a difference. You will feel it because it's it's compound. Yeah. And and I'm going to try and be as succinct as I can because I'm, I'm overflowing right now. It's <laughs> it's a thoughtfulness of servant based leadership. So for somebody like myself, uh, you know, I have harmony in my top five. I have connectedness developer. These are the things that really speak to me of what's missing in the majority of cultures and by simply having, you know, the, the pay was good enough for somebody to apply and to go through training. But sometimes what makes it, uh, the phrase was just good enough. Yeah. 
can actually be that you're connected with people in a way where when you need something that you can deliver on back and forth as a two way street, uh, that that connection and that harmony that you can create, that is the culture that you're after. Part of that is not, you know, I'm your manager. Can you grab me coffee? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, that's uh, uh, or because I said so uh, those types of things. It is being humble enough to grab a pen and a pad or to recognize that somebody is struggling and that the most powerful thing that you can do is simply pull them off the phone for 15 minutes and ask them if they're okay. That you can start meetings or one-on-ones with recognition. I would use another word, but we have a guest. Um, (laughs) Recognition of just doing a good job or having a tough call and hearing it and popping somebody off the phone and saying, I'm so happy for the way that you kept complete professional control of your tone. These little things of thoughtfulness can make the difference between somebody staying or leaving, retention and attrition. Quick, quick, quick counterexample. I had a peer. She was a leader of leaders. I don't know how she ever got to that position, but by God, she made it to that position. (laughs) And she had one of her leaders constantly getting her lunch. And when I asked her about it, I was like, you're sending an employee who's making somewhere between 60 and 80 grand out to McDonald's or wherever the fuck. I don't mind cussing. (laughs) Sorry, Jake. (laughs) Um, Which wherever she wanted this person, he would just go and he would go get her. And and I, I remember walking by her office sometimes. And as I'm walking up, she's shouting out to him, Hey, go grab me lunch, blah, blah, blah. And when I asked her about it, she's like, Oh, he likes to doing it. He likes to do it. And then lo and behold, they ended up both getting different jobs somewhere along the line. They became peers. And all of a sudden he wasn't as willing to help her. How strange (laughs) that, when she needed legit help for her job because she was in way overhead, just like she was with most of the time with her, the job that she had before, when she was in over her head, she would reach out to this guy for help. And he was like, no, man, fuck off. You, I got work to do. So people will do things for you it, <laughs> and they will do it because of a power dynamic and not because they want to go get you lunch, which is the counterexample to servant-based leadership. She should have been getting that guy fucking lunch, not asking him to get lunch. I had such a problem in my, in my role for a while. I had an admin, and I could not think of what to ask them to do because everything felt – it felt weird to ask them to do shit for me. And the, like literally that was their job. <laughs> <laughs> and I still felt weird because of this servant-based leadership. I'm not going to fire you, but you're – your life's going to be really easy. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're good at finding shit to do. because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to give you. All right. Uh, let's hand it back to Jake. You were starting to say um, situational leadership. Yeah. So um, it's just one of the other ones that I've found to be, to really hold true um, in a leadership, uh, you know, role and, and situational leadership. I, I th- I'm pretty sure it was Ken Blanchard. That was the original one to put it together, but that sounds right. this was the one that uh, it was like a, a training I took years and years and years ago, and it made so much sense, you know, because it just it talks about it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, you can't take somebody that's brand new who doesn't know anything about their job quite yet, and and coach them or train them like you would a tenured employee, right? Um, there's going to be, you know, because somebody new they come in and they're 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 eager, they're willing, but they just don't have the knowledge yet versus somebody that's tenured. 
maybe they're burned out. They have all the knowledge in the world, but they're burned out. And Can you re- they just, refresh they my memory? Attitudes. This is a, so this just, is a, sorry, we're, just I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm stepping on you a little bit. This is the D one through four and S one through four, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's that whole model. So situational leadership, anybody who's looking for, uh, you know, another resource to review and look at and approach, highly recommend that one. That, that one's definitely been a good one for me. So I'm curious, you guys, have you guys had experience with that and what's your thoughts on it? Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, that's something that, uh, we, my thing was always about simplifying, uh, S one through four D one through four for the audience members who haven't heard about this. I'm not going to go into the detail about it. It's basically saying, identify the difference between somebody who is, um, incompetent because they're new incompetent, you know, because they know too much or they know just enough to be dangerous and then they become competent, but they have doubt and then they become competent and they have confidence. If I'm, I'm probably butchering that a little bit, but that's essentially D one through four, which is development one through four. And then S one through four is the style, the support, excuse me. The S stands for support one through four that matches their particular D their development level. I think there's, there's several different iterations of this. It's, you don't know what you don't know. You know what you don't know, right? You know what you know and mastery. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and the way we, and Josh, Josh and I'll probably get into this at some point in a future episode, but we have more like, um, we, we simplified it down to three people, learners, soldiers, and leaders. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, situational based leadership, phenomenal. If you haven't looked into it, it's, it's worth a read. It's worth a, a glance because it is, it's exactly what you said, Jake. It's not, you cannot treat everybody the same. You're going to have killers on your team that don't need you. And you've already said this earlier in the call. They just kind of want to be left alone. Let them do their thing. They're, they're like, uh, if anybody's ever seen sin of a woman, they're, <laughs> they're Al Pacino's character. I will grab your arm. You do not touch me. <laughs> I, when I need help, He's like, uh, the kid grabs his arm for like the second time. He goes, are you fucking blind? And he's like, no, (laughs) he's like, he's like, then why are you grabbing my arm? I will grab your arm when I need help. And those are your, those are like your D fours. Those are the people that they know what they're doing. They're killers. They're crushing for you. They kind of just want to be left alone. You give those people whatever the hell they want. (laughs) I've, I've got a chicken walk for this. I promise I'll keep it short. Uh, I, I joined an organization. It was a healthcare organization in procurement. And uh, let's just say that within 90 days, we mutually agreed that it wasn't going to work out. And it was a sink or swim. It was, you know, the, coming in, no training whatsoever. Here's the programs grabbing people who are crushed in how busy that they are. And it's a sink or swim environment and constantly looking for feedback because I'm an intelligent human being who's trying to read the room. And I honestly couldn't tell, like, Am I doing okay? Nobody else is keeping up is is the fact that I'm not able to keep up and I've been here for a month and I'm getting feedback from the manager. It's like, no, yeah, yeah, look, you're doing great. So they they haul me into a room prior to 90 days and sat me down and put a document in front of me that said something about the the um, what do they call it when it's like a like a 90 day trial period probation? Yeah, the probation period. And they they decided to move in a different direction. And I just looked up and I smiled and I said, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Let's have a discussion. And for, for the sake of trying not to sound like an asshole, I am 15 or 20 years older than this manager who's never managed before, which mm-hmm. is fair. Mm-hmm. 
And in front of his manager during this process, I pointed out that the documents said her and she because they were copied. They were not specific to me. He did not write anything. Oh, that, copied and pasted. Yeah, they were all yep. cut and pasted Template. for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that within the last 48 hours, I went to him because of his lack of feedback. And he said, yeah, no, everything's great. You're doing fine. Do you think that it may have altered things if you would have said that, no, I don't think you're you're keeping up here or there? Maybe if there was a training program for what you're doing here. <laughs> or when maybe, you had a- answered my question about, or, is there anything I can like, be doing well, better? You can go to your peers and ask for help. My peers are so busy that they are willing to help me for about 10 or 15 minutes. I know nothing. I don't know the GUI systems. I don't know anything about what's going on. And it literally was that sink or swim environment. And then the follow up was, you wonder why you have an issue with retention turnover. or with attrition in your yeah. turnover. Yeah. And I, I'm like... Trust me, I'm I'm perfectly okay with your decision. I was almost there on my own. And I literally stood up and grabbed my coat and my stuff and walked out the door and they were gobsmacked because somebody would be so transparent to the fact of you need to fix all of your hot mess of onboarding. And if nothing else, (laughs) and I doubt they did anything, if nothing else, being able to just be like, wow, like. Like you, these things where we're talking about situational leadership, meeting people where they're at, um, everybody being different, having things like onboarding and retention programs to really dive into the surveys of what makes people happy? Why do they want to stay in a culture? And then listening. Okay. I didn't keep it short. (laughs) Uh, so we got maybe just under 10 minutes, I think left with you, Jake. Um, is there any issue that you'd like us to brainstorm with you about? Is there anything that you're currently going through that we can maybe um, share some of our own experiences with? Yeah. Um, so, and it's not, so I think this is something that kind of applies over the years. I mean, there's trends of, you know, sometimes the economy is great. Sometimes it's not. And I think right now, um, you know, and then if you, if you look at it now versus even back in like 2008, a lot of companies doing layoffs, right. And, everybody myself included i think we all you know you always have that thing in the back of your mind like is is that ever going to happen to me um and over the years you know people have come to me and whether it's a layoff or another job and they say hey like this is my concern i'm looking at this job the one thing in a 30 second tangent here whenever somebody comes to me and talks about the security of their job or potentially looking at another job i'm like yeah let's take a look at it like i'm i i truly believe that talking about what else is out there needs to be a part of the conversation. Not, not a lot, but every once in a while. And if they have concerns about it, and I've even had people that have come to me and say, Hey, I I took another job. I have to give my two weeks. I'm like, that's awesome. Where are you going? What's the job? And it's almost, they're just shocked because they're like, I I thought you'd be upset about this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not happy that we're losing you. Let me be clear. But if you found another job, that's better for you and your family. That's awesome. Right? Like tell me about the job. Um, but anyway, to go back to my question, so for you guys, I'm curious your experience on whenever there is talk of like layoffs or, you know, people leaving the company, like, how do you, how do you navigate that as far as keeping your folks engaged and, and, you know, even yourself, like, how do you guys navigate that? And what are some best practices you've seen? It's fantastic question. Um, so I'm going to, 
I think Josh is better suited to talking to a team specifically and keeping them motivated through the looming layoff uh, trend because uh, both of us have been through from beginning to end the 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 doubts that come in the writing on the walls the you know like, things start happening and and your company <clears throat> sends messages whether or not they're trying to like all of a sudden your site there's multiple sites and yours is not getting training classes anymore that's yeah. a pretty obvious calling card for your jobs are potentially at risk and they i don't know if they think everybody's stupid or they're hoping everybody's stupid they think nobody's talking in the background because they said that you're not supposed to discuss this as they lay people off. Yeah. Or they don't care. I, I mean, whatever. They're, they're doing whatever they think. If I'm going to try to give them some credit, they're doing whatever they think is best, probably based on pluralistic ignorance. I know, audience, you're probably tired of hearing me saying that ever since I learned it from Adam Grant. But deal with it because it's cool. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put that on a coffee mug. Pluralistic <laughs> Ignorance <laughs> is cool. No, no, no. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Knowing the term is cool. I know, <laughs> I know. All right, so I'm going to, I'll speak from kind of running an organization with looming layoffs, and then I'll hand it off to Josh to talk about, like, how do you keep a team motivated through that kind of stuff. So when I'm, my style was, as soon as I smelled it, we talked about it at length as leaders. Like, I know they're all seeing the same things I'm seeing. As a matter of fact, I could even give them insights um, like I know before they knew that we weren't going to have classes. They, they would ask questions like, Hey, I, we haven't had a class in a couple of weeks. What's going on? Or a couple of months. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, they're not, we're uh, not, not projected for the next few months either. And they're not saying anything about it. The, the answer is for me, it's, this is, it's, let me reword that an answer. And it depends on the culture you've built. It depends on the, the level of trust that you have with your people. An answer is to just be real and say, listen, I don't know what's happening either. So part one is just the honesty and leveling with them and going, I, I don't know, man. I see what you guys see. I see a little bit more of it, quite frankly. I get why you're nervous. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shill for the company and tell you, don't worry, everything's fine, because you're not stupid. I'm not gonna treat you like you're stupid. You validate their feelings. That's that is a legit concern. And you say it's okay that you feel that concern. And I understand why you feel that concern. And so what are what are you doing about it? What are some of the things that you can do? Let's talk side hustles. Let's talk about how can I help you if you if you are concerned enough about this writing on the wall that you want to go get another gig, how can I help you? You know, is there is there research I can do for you? Is there something I can help you with by, with my experience and knowledge of life or whatever? How can I help? Because I want to support you. And that's from a leader to leader perspective, but I also think that that is a little bit applicable, at least to leader to sole contributor. I think one of the the main differences between Max and I here is that Max was managing leaders and, and I was managing frontline employees. And so little, little different scenario because of knowledge bases, et cetera. This is one of the hardest questions that you'll ever get as a manager. So uh, just the fact that this is your question, Jake, is you know, I, we can tell how seasoned you are because this is the hardest question that you, you might ever have to field. Yeah, you're bringing us the real shit. Yeah. So there are, I'm, I'm going to start at the, the easy end. There are people on the team that are going to be paranoid. Stability is the thing that they're looking for. You know, they may have come to a financial institution because typically those institutions are fairly stable in, in what they're going to do. Typically. Years at a time, if not decades at a time, as opposed to 
you know, the, the whims of a tech company where something's great for six months and it's not making us money anymore. And they fire an entire division of a thousand people that they just hired six months ago, which happens sometimes. Um, it's a little more volatile. So this, this not being as volatile with banking, there are people who are worried. That's a part of, of how they're wired going right back into that situation at the financial institution that Max and I were at. When we are hiring a new class every week and maintaining numbers between 450 and 500 employees answering phone calls, they are not laying anybody off. You're, you're, you're okay. You're off base. Here's why. They're, they're hiring. We're training. We're bringing people in. Uh, they are, you know, the compensation, the way that, that things are moving. They're adding shifts at night. They're expanding hours. These are all the indicators that would tell me that you're just worried. Uh, regardless, there's always, and it's funny because in the world of clickbait, there is always something out there saying like, oh, the huge layoffs are coming. The economy is going to crash. We got lit. We got limited time with Jake. So can okay. you fast forward to tips? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you get into that situation where you can see the writing on the wall, for me, it's it's having that honest conversation about those concerns and what you're seeing and that things do feel different. And things like spending one-on-one time actually building out resumes. What's that plan? Sometimes all somebody needs in order to feel supported and validated is really that exit plan. So having an up-to-date resume, looking at other positions, whether it's within the company or externally. But the biggest thing that I think you can do as a leader is giving that permission that we've all already mentioned where, and, and I give it up front. It's one of the first things that I ever say to somebody when I'm in my first meetings with people. I don't care if it's inside these walls or outside these walls. I'm here to help remove the obstacles for you to become who you want to be in the role that you want to be in. I don't care if it's here or somewhere else. This is where you back that up with being a good human and you invest the time allowing them their one-on-one. If they want to look for a job with you, let's open up the phones. Let's scroll. Let's not use business equipment. That's not a smart move (laughs) to look for work, but giving them permission which is an incredibly powerful word. And if something happens, they are better prepared. They see you as a good human. And if nothing happens, maybe you saw some things that you didn't even know existed that are better off for you, better off for your family, a better position within the company you're already in and finding a way to use your skills to contribute. Jake, awesome. anything you'd like to add? Yeah, no, I just, uh, the comment earlier about how you guys were doing the bobblehead thing. That's pretty much what I was doing through, uh, you know, when you guys talk through that. So, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's critical to be real as you guys pointed out and just, uh, you know, talk about the elephant in the room, you know, people see what they see. And I, I do agree. Um, what you guys talked about is sometimes you just have paranoid people and you can usually identify those people pretty quickly. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you're you just sort of make themselves that, known, but, uh, I, I, I do agree. I, I think a lot of this comes down to just having real conversations with people, or at least that's, uh, you know, kind of been my approach is just being as real as you can and saying, here's what I know, which isn't much, right? As middle management, a lot of times you don't know really anything, but here's what I know. And I, I think the only other thing that I would add to what you guys said is sometimes people want to hear your interpretation of something. And I will always set the stage. This is my interpretation. I don't know this to be fact, but this would be what I would take away from, you know, maybe a, a, a corporate email that went out or, you know, communication, whatever that looks like is sometimes people just want to hear your take on it. 
Um, even if it's that's not actually what's going to happen, they just want to hear somebody else talk about it. So yeah, I like it. And the best thing that that you can do, and this is this is a recurring theme throughout our show, is if you're building the trust, if you're building the relationship, and you're being vulnerable, and you're asking them to be the same, then when you get to the point where they're asking you, "How do you interpret this email?" and you say the words, "Well, this is what I get." If you've done the the groundwork, they will they will take that for the for the reality that it is instead of thinking, man, you know something and you're just hiding. That's if, if somebody starts digging on you and going, well, I, I don't know, there's gotta be more. I, you're holding back. It, you have not done your job as, as a leader, as a trust builder. If people don't suspect, unless you are holding back and you're kind of making that obvious and you're telling them, listen, I can't tell you yet. I need you to like chill until I can. That's another thing. But the, the bottom line here based on what both of you guys have said is help them be prepared. That's the best thing that you can do. If you know it's coming or you think it's coming and they see the writing on the walls too, just try to help them be prepared. Um, Jake, I want to thank you for uh, calling in and giving us an opportunity to kind of talk to directly to the audience that we're trying to speak to, giving us some, some really good tips to, uh, to share with the audience and some insights and perspectives on, you know what? I feel like you're right in line with all the stuff that we think. I know there's stuff that you do that's probably different and probably valuable. Hopefully there's, there'll be a, a revisit that we can do later on down the road. Hopefully you'll be willing to, I would love for you to come back on and talk to us about, you know, if, if things progress, if the layoffs actually came or whatever, like we'd love to talk to you again. So thanks for, uh, thanks for calling in, man. We appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Guys. Yeah. Take care. Jake's a good guy. <laughs> you can you can tell he fits in with both of our first core values of be a good human. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's he's he cares about his team. He's real with his team. He's I, I I can kind of I feel like I can always tell when people only have one mode. They don't have a work self and a home self. He's thinking about not only them but their families and the situation that would be better for them. Yes. Yeah. And this is probably just who he is. Uh, that's that's my assumption. I, I concur. I, I got asked a couple of times. You're like this at home? Like, yeah, man. I I don't have the patience to be two different people. <laughs> it's way too much energy to be two different people. Way too much work. So, quick recap for uh, for our listeners. Um, some tips that Jake had to share with us is number one, servant-based leadership. That's worth, you can just Google that. I'm sure you'll find the writer, the author, some courses on it. I would imagine there's some very inexpensive ways to learn about that. If you've not heard about it, servant-based leadership is just understanding that the kind of leader that gets the best results is actually there to serve the team, not the other way around. That is legitimately the opposite of being an authority based leader. I'm here to take care of you. And the, the natural expectation is that you will then want to take care of me. Not the other way around. You lead, you lead by example. They are not there to follow you. You are there to lead them. Yes. And then the second part is situationally based leadership. Google it. Fine. I'm sure there's some cheap ways to um, get this information. The S one through four, D one through four. It's essentially something Josh and I have talked about at length, which is meeting people where they're at and leading them from where they're at rather than where you would like them to be or worse yet, where the company would like them to be. And then the last thing is if you're going through something massive like a layoff, companies go through massive shifts all the time and they're not always great about communicating with their 
constituency. So the best thing that you can do is be real with your people. You, you, whether or not you share the concerns, you can at least acknowledge their experience and say, I understand that you're concerned. Why don't you tell me what your major concerns are? Is there anything we can do? Is there any way I can help? And then in a situation like a layoff, help them be prepared. It, that's, that's the best thing you can do is go, listen, I get it. I, I get that you don't feel comfortable with the idea that you could lose your job tomorrow. What can we do? Yeah. You know, is there any place that you would like to look? Is there, you know, would you like me to look at your resume? Is there, um, any ideas that I can pose to you? What side hustles could we do? That was a, that was something that one of my favorite bosses of all time talked to me, talked to us about all the time was like, what's your side hustle? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, what are you doing on the side? Because a single solitary stream of income is not a great idea in today's day and age. That was fine back in the sixties or the fifties or whatever, but it's not fine now. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So uh, I think this is really interesting because having gone through the layoff, you know, as as teams shrink down through attrition and they're not doing hiring classes, I think I got down to six or seven people. That's where, you know, the writing is on the wall. And we were all talking about it because there were 30 managers and we usually would have three times that many people on our teams. And they laid 10 of us off on the same day. Then they made it very clear in this BDC that you are not to talk to anybody if you do, and if you announce that you've been laid off before we announce that you've been laid off, you put your severance in jeopardy. There were all kinds of threats along that line all the way through the severance package, which for some people was 10 months because they'd been there for a decade. Yeah, that, that's me, by the way. Yeah. I, was, I was laid off from a BDC and I had a really good, I mean, a, props to them. Sorry to interrupt, but props no, to them for having a pretty fine. decent severance package because yeah. I'd been there for 15 years and that essentially meant 15 paychecks. So I was there for eight, I was getting paid for eight months. So here's the thing that's the, the crooks of this little chicken walk. I wasn't allowed to call anybody, say anything, but I no longer work there. I had to go hand in my equipment. I knew that I built the culture that I wanted to be in when my team that was left of six, seven, eight people started calling me saying, we haven't heard from you. It's been two days. Are you okay? Is your family okay? Has something happened? And I could only say to them, I'm not at liberty to discuss it, but everybody is safe. Everybody is okay. And I'll reach back out. And three or four days later, the announcements came out. I didn't have to reach back out. It was a deluge of text messages about what BS it is to be at the top of one of the top companies and to have been have been laid off. And that's very validating, which is probably why I'm bringing it up here. But the most validating piece for me is I'm still in touch with some of those people. I still hear from them every few months in in some cases because we made a human connection. So regardless of what you're going through, how hard the questions are and and what kind of culture you're in currently, you do have control over the culture for the people who help you and who work with you and by god if you're not having any fun you're doing it wrong oh.